We are continuing our journey through Romans. We will be diving into Romans chapter 14. We are slowly approaching uh, the end of this book and continuing to pray the Lord will um, sanctify us through these wonderful words that he has given to us through Paul. We ask that uh, you continue to keep in prayer just our church, um, each one another, as we continue to keep in prayer uh, your families, uh, especially during these times. And I know COVID is something that has been a little more um, uh, coming back a little strong right now, a lot of positive cases and so forth. And so we would just want to keep people in prayer and their health and be there for one another during this winter season. Um, so uh, I hope uh, our time together this morning not only blesses you, but challenges you in a way that continues to, um, to be sanctified and to draw closer to Christ. Before we dive in, we, there are some things that I want to kind of process with you or kind of put forth and some questions as I usually do for our introduction. And uh, one is, have you ever had uh, just a, a frivolous argument or an argument that essentially means nothing, right? It's not fruitful, doesn't go anywhere, um, doesn't produce anything, um, and there's just no reason, rhyme, whatever it may be. For it to even have occurred. Have you ever had that with another Christian? You ever had that in a church? Have you ever seen it, witnessed it, been part of it? I'm sure we all have different situations, scenarios, and experiences with such things. One of the things that I can recall many years ago, I was in a church meeting. Um, and I was a, uh, a pastor, a supporting pastor at a church and a family that had been with the church for a while um, stated that they were leaving and that was brought to the leadership uh, that this family was leaving. And I had asked why and they said, well, they weren't happy because um, the worship team had lit candles on the stage. And so they were offended by the lit candles on the worship stage of the worship team. And uh, I started thinking about that, and I was like, wow. I was like, someone would leave a church over candles on a stage. That, that really blew me away. I, I, I didn't know how to process it, um, and I struggled to really reconcile that reasoning. And now we think about it, or I present it to you this morning, you know, we, we may have different opinions, like, well, it's just candles on a stage, or some of us might be, well, maybe the candle did this, or the candle something, or in their background, and we make up some random uh, thing that could be an excuse of why the candle was offensive to this family. Uh, whatever the case may be, is that a reason to leave church? Is that a reason to leave a church? I can recall even sooner um, than that situation, uh, families that have left this church in the past. Uh, one of the reasons being is, well, you meet in a home, and I don't think churches should meet in a home. And as a pastor, it was really hard for me to process that because as we know, that's how the church began. 
is in homes. Another situation that I found myself in is a complaint that, well, you have too many young people in your church. Too many young people in your church. And again, I found myself in the peculiar situation to uh, process that from a biblical perspective. The thing is, as we go through life, we will continue to see, we will continue to experience, we will continue to hear different reasons, different purposes, different things that affect people spiritually, and they don't know or realize how much they affect them spiritually. But my question is, uh, not necessarily do you have such Uh, questions, such doubts. But the question is, is as Christians, how do we respond to such comments, to such beliefs, such positions? This is where Paul begins our journey through many different principles on how Christians are to respond to what we call secondary issues. Secondary issues. If you're not quite sure what a secondary issue is, I'll explain that more later. Um, But before we go any further, let's pray. But I want us to to process and and think about these things or even hold in our minds uh, for a moment just some of the experiences that we may have had or conversations that we may have, whether you're the one that has said such things or believed such things or you've been part of conversations or seen or heard such conversations What does the Bible say about these things? Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your sacrifice. For we are truly undeserving. May our time together honor you above all things. May we humble our hearts, humble our minds, and kneel before you. May this message be of you and no one else, and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to be diving into Romans 14. We'll be looking at verses 1 through 4, and we'll begin to see the principles that Paul has for us moving forward, chapter 14 and most of chapter 15. Please follow along as I read our passage for this morning. Romans 14, verse 1. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Amen. We're going to be looking at verses 1 and 2 together, right up front. Um, Let me go back and reread verses 1 and 2 of chapter 14. It says, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, 
but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. As we enter into chapter 14, we will see that Paul now deals with important principles to guide God's people when it comes to secondary issues. We will see this well into chapter 15. Think right around verse 13, 14, and then Paul begins his uh, um, kind of his ending to Romans, almost a farewell, so to speak. And as many of us know, secondary issues are usually the things that cause conflict among believers. Now, what are secondary issues? Secondary issues are non-fundamentals of the faith. Non-fundamentals of the faith. A lot of people believe that, you know, if it doesn't have to do with your salvation, it's a secondary issue. That would be a false understanding of the scriptures. Why? Because the Trinity, right? If we don't believe in the Trinity, God is one, okay? Then we have a false view of God. If we have a false view of God, then we may not be worshiping the God versus a God. Does that have anything to do with our salvation? Yes, it does. But at the surface, we might not think it does. Well, if I don't understand and believe in the Trinity, what does that have to do with my salvation in and through Jesus Christ? Well, because if you believe in a God versus the God, then therefore your faith stands in the wrong place. Or there's other things when it comes to God's ordinances, God's commands, God's laws, how to conduct ourselves as Christians. There's many things. When God is clear, we need to be very clear. But Paul wants to make it known that there are secondary issues. Secondary issues. He gets into a few of those, but to give you an example, um, whether I stand in a pulpit the whole time while I preach, or I make my way out of the pulpit from time to time. You might not think much of it, but in some churches, that is sinful. You can't do that. It's not allowed. It's not okay. There are things such as what color is the carpet, where to place an instrument, where a worship leader may stand, where a pastor may stand, where people in the church may or may not stand, where you enter, where you exit, how to conduct communion, how to conduct baptism, how to do many of these things, and even smaller and more minute issues such as these. Secondary issues. Now, I don't want to get into too much detail because Paul, for these next several verses, several passages in chapter and a half or so, he's going to address many of them that he's dealing with. And why is that? Well, we must remember that Rome is a cosmopolitan city, right? It has a lot of different people from different cultures and different backgrounds, and the believers there came from differing backgrounds and cultures. So as Rome is converted, or as people in Rome are converted to Christianity, 
They come from many different walks of life. Some practices of the Jews and the Gentiles were unacceptable by one another. These are the main two competing groups, or I guess I should say opposite groups that were coming together in the faith because and through Jesus Christ to be the church. They come from different walks of life. Contrasts. We see Paul deal with this quite a bit on how the Jews kind of thumb their nose at the Gentiles because they're heathens. They're those that uh, they were always told as unclean, sinful, could never be saved, not part of the chosen. But a lot of what we've seen up to this point has really a lot to do with those that are saved versus those that are unsaved. And our conduct in which, how we are to proceed and live out our lives, very, very practical, Paul's writings. But Paul now gives, gives them, those that are in Rome, the church in Rome, some guidelines on how believers are to handle such things. Paul mentions the weak Christian. This is one who has many doubts over secondary issues. And here, in this context, Paul was speaking of the Jews. Now, doubts over primary issues typically leads us to believe that they are not saved. They are not true believers. But Paul is dealing with secondary issues. He's already dealt with salvation over and over again, what the faith should and should not look like, so on and so forth. And now he's dealing with these secondary issues. The interesting thing is, is he starts out to ask for, as for the one who is weak in faith. Weak in faith. Now we all know, well, most of us should know, if not all of us, that faith as small as a mustard seed is enough. A mustard seed is very small, very tiny, and a faith that small, that tiny is enough. If you're saved, you're saved. But here we, we are seeing Paul address something. He's like, look, there are those that are weak in faith. There are those that are weak in faith. There are those that struggle with secondary issues. They are weak in faith. This is how we are to deal with them. This is how we are to interact with them. This is how we are to process these individuals in the church. Paul mentions the weak Christian. This is one who has many doubts and secondary issues. And he's particularly talking about the Jews. And the Jews had many concerns about eating non-kosher foods, even though God had made them clean. Or working on a Saturday, which was to them the Sabbath, or many other religious ceremonies and rituals from their past. Essentially, there's a lot of man-made versus God-made commands versus God commands. And then there's a lot of understanding that the Jews were stuck into the old rituals, the old, what? Covenant. They had a hard time with this. The Jewish believer was stuck in the... Ri- and the restrictions of the Old Covenant, and the Gentile believer struggled with past pagan idolatry and rituals. Now, even though we are going to get into some of the things that the um, Jews struggle with, because this is very particular in the conversion of the Jews, and now there's a converted Jew in the Christian church in Rome, 
which a big part of that is made up by past, uh, past Gentiles, and these Gentiles had their struggles as well. So I'm going to give, a, throughout this message, it's going to be a little bit of a, a, not a contrast, but giving you both sides, so to speak. It's like, hey, this is what the Jews struggle with, and these are what some of the Gentiles struggle with. Because the Gentiles struggle with things as well. Paul has dealt with some of those. We've been through them and understanding that they do come from a pagan background, a pagan history, pagan rituals and understandings, right? And even some of them living out in such a way to where their, their flesh, their body, their being is separate from their spirit and what they did in the flesh did not affect what, ha- what uh, has to deal with with the spirit. At times, the Gentile and the Jew had many struggles. There are those of weaker faith, and we are to welcome them and be able to discern when not to argue over opinion and secondary issues. All the same while, while standing firm in the word. So as we go back to our text, verse 1, as for the one who is weak in faith, Welcome him. Welcome him. Now, a lot of us may process this differently or have processed it differently in the past. There are those that are of weaker faith. We have to understand that. There are those that have weaker faith. In this room, each and every one of us may be at a different point in our spiritual journey and in our faith. And in our faith. Some of us may be more in line with one another. But we are all in different places to some extent. To some extent. What does Paul continue to say? He says, welcome them. Welcome them. Okay, so someone is of weaker faith, but they have faith. Someone is of weaker faith, but they are saved. That's what Paul is saying. They are saved. They have salvation. They're just weaker in faith. And a lot of us may say, okay, but what does that mean to be weaker in faith? Paul gives us some examples. We're not going to cover all of them today. This is why we're just going through verse 4. Then we'll get into another one next week and then another one the following week and so on and so forth. But this welcome them is an embrace. Is an embrace. We're to embrace them. We are to love them. Essentially, this is, we need to accept them where they are. But see, we must not get confused with accepting them where they are to allowing them to stay where they are. Because that's not God's plan for us. We'll see throughout this and through some of the uh, um, supporting verses that I will bring in that we must, as I mentioned just a moment ago, We are to accept those that are of weaker faith. We are to welcome them. But we need to be able to discern discern when not to argue over certain things, over opinion and secondary issues, and all the same while standing firm in the Word of God. But what is the secondary issue? What is the secondary issue? Yes, we are to be accepting and loving and open and so on and so forth. But the thing is, we need to be able to discern if someone is saved or not. Just because someone says they believe in God doesn't mean they're saved. 
does not mean they're saved. Just because someone said, well, I grew up in church. Oh, uh, my parents were Christian. Does not mean that they're saved. Just because you are sitting here today or listening today does not mean you're saved. Just because you do Christian things does not mean you are saved. We must understand what salvation is and is not. And I've preached on that many times. We must truly understand the gospel. There must be a reconciliation of our sins. There must be repentance. Understanding who God is. Understanding who Jesus is. What he's done. What he's conquered. The price that has been paid. We must understand who we belong to. Who we belong to. We belong to God. We don't belong to ourselves. God owns us. We belong to Him. And we embrace that. He truly is our Lord. Not just our Savior. He is also our Lord. There must be a regeneration of the heart. So as Christians, we must discern. We must discern, is this someone who is weak in faith or someone who is not saved? This is the difference between doubts or not accepting primary issues, foundations, fundamentals of the faith versus secondary issues, non-foundations, fundamentals of the faith. It is not our responsibility to decide the requirements for Christian fellowship in a church. Only God can do this through His Word. And so as we accept, right, as we're commanded, as we're told, as we see here, we are to be accepting of those that are weak in faith, to be part of the body of Christ. We need to welcome them. We need to welcome them. Then it says what? But not to quarrel over opinions don't quarrel over opinions what are opinions those beliefs that we have apart from god's word beliefs that we have apart from god's word those are opinions when someone comes to me and say okay well we should do this great give me an example a reference a supportive element in God's Word. Well, it's a good thing we should do. We should do it because it's good. God's good. God's loving. This is loving and good, so we should do that too. No, no, that's not what I asked. Give me something from Scripture that supports this. That's an opinion. If it's not clear in God's Word clear in God's Word, then it becomes, or is formulated, it's our opinion. It's our opinion. You must repent, confess Jesus is Lord and Savior. It's not opinion. It's God's Word. It's not opinion. It's God's Word then we, get, we begin to understand the difference between secondary and primary issues. God makes things very clear for a reason. 
And then he makes other things not so clear for a reason. There are several times I've had conversations with other theologians, pastors, members of churches, and atheists about certain things. And I have to, I, there's a point where it's like we can go back and forth, but then I have to say, look, God is not ultimately clear on this subject. So therefore, for me to make a, a definite decision or stance would be wrong for me to do so. I can formulate my opinion and I can say, well, I lean this way or I have this experience, but I cannot inject that into the scriptures. I must allow the scriptures to stand on their own. Scripture alone is sufficient. Sola Scriptura, we need to understand this. So we, it is not our responsibility to decide the requirements for Christian fellowship. God, ordain, God has already ordained that, and he commands that to us. It's been given to us. It's very simple. We must stand firm in his word. To set up man-made restrictions on the basis of personal prejudices or convictions even is to go beyond the word of God. A lot of times... People in churches are like, well, I, I have, a, I have a, this conviction. And so because I have this conviction, therefore I'm going to push this and implement this. But it's like, wait a second. Where is that in God's word? Where is that in God's word? That's why I continue to, I continue to teach you this very thing. As we hear God's word, the teaching and preaching of God's word, as we study God's word and we're in God's word and we're in prayer, we have certain convictions. But it comes two ways. One, we have a conviction. Or two, we have a bad attitude. You ever experienced that? When you're in God's word, you're in prayer, someone's talking to you about God's word or you hear God's preaching. What's your attitude? What's your conviction? My attitude is, oh, that's great. You're not convicted by it because maybe you're living that out already. Or your attitude is, whatever. <sighs> Are we done yet? What's your attitude? Or you're convicted. Man, I, I didn't know that. Man, I, I've really been failing in this area. I know better. Why am I doing that? You have a Paul moment. Why do I do the things I know I'm not supposed to do and I just keep on doing them? Check your attitude. Check your convictions. But the thing is, your convictions are for you, for you to live out. The convictions that we have through Scripture, it should all come through there. As we live out our convictions, yeah, maybe it'll affect others, and then maybe they'll be convicted by our lives. We're going to see some of that this morning. But the convictions that we are given, it is our, our responsibility to live those out. If you hear God's word, you're in God's word, and your attitude is not positive, but it, it's negative, and it's like, whatever, and you know, I don't care. Oh, what? You, need a, you better do a check. You better do a heart check.
But we need to take those and apply those, but we don't come and bring our convictions. It's like, you know what? I'm convicted that we need to be more, more purposeful to our children. More purposeful to our children. I think we need to be, we've been neglecting our children and we need to focus more on our children. And we come and then next thing you know, everything about church and what we do is revolves around the children. That's not right. Or you know what? I think having purple carpet in church is offensive. It's going to offend people. I'm convicted that it offends people as they come into church, they see purple carpet, and they're like, wow, that's, that's offensive, that's loud, or that's old. We need to change that. We have these different convictions. A lot of times we need to be able to discern what are from what? Our own opinion that are man-made. We need to discern the difference between primary issues and secondary issues. We cannot have personal prejudices and push them onto the church or others as they, as they have been, as if they have been ordained by God, because they have not. We must not argue over these matters, and we must not judge or despise one another. We, but not to quarrel over opinions. Verse 2, one person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So we see in a first example here in verse 2 and an understanding is like, okay, this is directly, this is aimed directly at the converted Jews. Why? Because things weren't kosher. They were unclean foods unclean foods but there are points in scripture that we see and even very early on to where god has ordained jesus himself has said that foods are clean we're going to look at that in just a moment before we get there um there there is something that i want us to all understand right between primary and secondary issues Before we really argue or stand firm on something where I am immovable from this hilltop about this issue, we must humble ourselves, search the scriptures, seek wise counsel, be in prayer. Is this a primary issue? Is this a primary issue? Is this something commanded by God? Is this something very clear in God's word? Or is it really unclear? Is it secondary? Is it something that, you know, there, there seems to be a lot of wiggle room here, a lot of gray in this area? Because so many churches split, fight, argue. The body of Christ hurt because of such things. Um, there's a quote that, that many pastors know. Some of you may have heard this uh, by St. Augustine. Uh, I'm not Catholic, so I don't consider him a saint, but it's Augustine. He was a bishop. Um, you can look at his life. It's, 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 uh, 
he's done some amazing things and not probably in the region that you would expect. Uh, he has a very interesting life, and I, I encourage you to look at that a little bit. But there's, there's a quote here that he is, he's, he's been, um, been credited as saying this or coining this phrase, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. In all things, charity. And basically, he's saying, look, in primary issues, in essential biblical issues, you must be united as a church, as a body of Christ. And in things that are unessential, things that are secondary, we need to have liberty. You have a little more freedom, a little more wiggle room, a little more acceptable, a little more variation in these things. But in all things, charity. Everything we do, do it with charity, love, a giving and servant heart. Remember the message I gave a few weeks ago? Love one another as if you are in debt. As if you are in debt. This is how God explained it to us. You're in debt to no one. Except for love. Love one another as if you owe them love. Not because you have to. Because you owe them. You're indebted to them. When it comes to love. Speaking of Believers. So understand the difference between primary and secondary issues. Turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, verse 5. Now a lot of people believe that where things have been made clean and one of the apostles was told to get up and go eat, right? Different things such as this came much later on in the New Testament. But we're going to see something here in Mark chapter 7 through the teachings of Jesus himself. It's a little bit long, but bear with me. Mark chapter 7, verse 5. And the Pharisees and scribes asked him because they came and they were being critical of the different things that uh, the Jesus' apostles were doing or his disciples were doing and so forth. They're like, hey, you're violating certain things, certain traditions, so on and so forth. We see here, verse 5, says, And the Pharisees and the scribes asked him, speaking of Jesus, Why do your disciples not walk according to the traditions of the elders, but eat with defiled hands? And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written? This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. We can stop right there for just a moment, and we can take this to heart, this prophecy from Isaiah. This is a reference. We can look at that later, or actually that can be some homework for you can understand like look are we honoring god with our lips are we honoring him with just showing up to church and worshiping him 
But in our hearts, we're bitter, we're angry. We don't live a loving, godly life the rest of the week. Are we just as these hypocrites here, as these these uh, Pharisees here, are we just as just like them? And he says here, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Let's jump to verse 8 now as Jesus continues. You have the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. This is one of the reasons why any church that I ever got, have been in, and there's things that are going on, and like I don't know the biblical reference for that, I ask, why do we do that? Why do we do that? You know what the most common response that I get is? Well, I don't know. We've just always done it. So you're doing something in an act of worship to God. You have no idea, no reason, no rhyme of why you do it whatsoever. Why is that? Are we holding to the commandments of God or are we holding to the tradition of men? Know why. Know why we do what we do in church. Know why we do what we do in our Bible studies. Know why we do what we do in and throughout the week. Know. If you're not sure, ask. If you ever visit another church or go to another church, whatever it may be, or you have friends and you have discussions with about things that they do, ask, well, why do you guys do that? Many times I'm at, well, why do you ask that question? It's like, I, I'm trying to educate myself. I don't, I don't know why you do that, so I want to know why you do that. Can you educate me? Like, well, I don't know why we do that. Are we following the commands of God or the traditions of men? Verse 9, And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. Jesus is calling them out. You have all these commands of God, but you have far more traditions of men, and you're choosing that over following, submitting to, living out the commands of God. It's amazing the quarrels the disagreements, the anger, the frustration, the bitterness that has come out of tradition of men in churches versus the commands of God. Sometimes I'm in meetings and I'm like, why why are we fighting? Why are we arguing over this? It's frivolous. Over here, we're neglecting these commands of God and yet we're over here fighting over tradition of men. And it has root in one thing. Pride. Pride. Weak faith. Weak faith. Don't worry, we'll get to more of verse 2 in just a moment before we move on to verse 3 about how they, look, those that are weaker eat vegetables. Don't go around and and say, I know we jest sometimes, but those that are uh, vegans or uh, uh, vegetarians or whatever across the board. There's so many different things now. It's like, oh, you're you you eat that way because you're weak. You're not a strong Christian. You eat vegetables. That's not really the context of the scripture. 
But what are you following? Are you rejecting God's commands? Let's continue on here in Mark 7, verse 10. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother, and whoever reviles father and mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever, whatever you would have gained from me is Corbin. Now, it's Corbin, Corbin means it's like something dedicated as a gift to God, essentially. Okay? It, it, it's a declaration in a sense. It's, it's something that has is, is, is already been, um, I guess, committed to. And so they're saying, well, you, your traditions say, well, I don't need to honor my mother and father if I'm going to go over here and do this for God. It's like you're contradicting the command of God, right? And this is what Jesus teaches. Says, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father and mother. It's a loophole. It's an excuse for them to not honor their mother and father and to move on and to neglect them. Verse 13, thus making void the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down and many such things you do. So many times we take a man-made thing or tradition and then take commands by God. It's like, well, the commands are too hard. So what I'll do is I'll water them down and manipulate them and say, well, this tradition is basically us meeting this here, this command. And we do that. We find a loophole, we make an excuse. Well, I don't need to go and share the gospel with people because I give money to missionaries. So because I give money to missionaries, I don't need to go share. I, that, that's for other people. I have the gift of giving, you know, because I have a lot of money. And so because I have a lot of money, I must have the gift of giving. So, you know, here's some money. Go do my bidding. People do that. You have the gift of giving. You should be giving till it hurts. Scriptures say you don't give out of your excess. You give out of your first fruits. You give out of what the heart and convictions that God's given you. If you've been given the gift of giving, then you're giving abundantly. No excuse for us not to share the gospel. We're all to go and make disciples. Let's continue on. Do not confuse tradition of man, our own convictions, our own things, right? To take place of the commands of God. Why? Because verse 13 just told us this makes void the word of God. Verse 14. And he called the people to him again and said to them, hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by doing by going into him can defile him. Oh, so now Jesus is saying, he said all these things, and now he's getting to a point where he's saying, okay, look, you should understand you're bringing tradition of man to say the things that my disciples are eating because they're eating with unclean hands, and while they're walking down the path, and as they're walking, they're grabbing some seed, and they're breaking up the seed, and then they're eating the seed to nourish them, and it might have been on um, there were some cases that it was on a Sabbath day, it was on a Saturday, and they shouldn't have been grabbing that while they were walking and then eating, and then they had unclean hands when they did all these different things, right? And he says, oh, okay, you're saying that that defiles my men. 
that defiles my disciples. So he says, all these things, you're following traditions of men and not the commands of God. If that's not enough, then look, you're saying, oh, what a man puts into his mouth defiles his heart. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. So you, you see this. Jesus switches it back onto them. So you're saying, my disciples are defiled because they're putting these things into their mouth unclean hands or during the wrong time and you're saying that, that that's defiling them it's like no 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 it's not the things that you put in your mouth that defile you now this isn't like i can go and eat whatever and and be a sloth and be obese and do all these things and just live a very gluttonous life or i can go do drugs and i can do this and i can do that because nothing i put in my body is going to defile me um, that, that, that's not the context that jesus is teaching here what he is saying is, what defiles a person, it comes out of their mouth. And when he had entered the house, oh wait, let me go back, verse 15. There's nothing outside of a person that by, doing, by going into him can defile him, but the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable. And he said to them, how come you still don't get it? Jesus says that a lot to the disciples. How oh, he still don't get it? Right? Sometimes I have to restrain myself as a pastor when I talk to, to some of us and it's like, you still don't get it? Right? It's like, well, Jesus said that. I'm not Jesus, so I need to restrain myself. It says, then you are also without understanding. How come you don't get it? He goes on and says, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him? Wait a second. That goes against the old covenant. Unclean things, Right? Are you saying, Jesus, that there are things that I can eat now that I used to not be able to eat that make me unclean? That would defile me. I would have to go and repent and I'd have to go and sin offering. I'd have to go and make myself clean again. Verse 19, since it enters not his heart. He gives us a reason why. If you eat shellfish, it's not entering to your heart. We're no longer circumcision. It's not about circumcision of the flesh, circumcision of the heart. No longer about these laws. I'm saying this. Why? Because I am here now. I'm going to, later on, you're going to hang me from a cross. I'm going to pay the penalty of your sins. I'm going to conquer death. I'm going to walk amongst you, and then I'm going to ascend. Since it, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. Thus he declared all foods clean. And it goes on to say that the things that come out of our mouth are the things that are from our heart, and we can see the, the things that have defiled us because the, the things that defile us ultimately affects our heart. Ah. God's teaching. God's word. Two different paths. Remember that? Are we convicted? 
Or do we have an attitude? What is our attitude? Attitude of joy? Or an attitude of bitterness? An attitude of frustration? Attitude of anger? A negative attitude? Hmm. Then we can begin to see the things that have affected the heart. When we hear God's Word, as a Christians, the prayer, the hope, the desire is conviction or joy. Conviction or joy. Living it out already, need to live it out. Anything other than that, we need to really take a pulse of our spiritual heart rate. Why? Because this is, this is the purpose, this is the power of God's Word. That's what it's meant for. Exhortation. Do we truly know what exhortation is? We ex- exhortate God's Word and God's Word convicts us to no longer sin anymore. Exhortation. Joy. Worship. Love. Hear God's words like, wow, that's amazing. Yes, it's such a blessing to hear that. A confirmation on the life that I'm living. It's a blessing. I rejoice in this. Because I, why? Because I'm good and I'm strong in my, no. Because I'm honoring God. I'm worshiping God. Why? Remember. Because we love Him. Because we love Him. So we see here, there's things that's like, okay, look, if the Jews are going to abstain from these, these foods still, right, and they struggled with that, on abstaining from what God has already made clean, they just weren't, they still struggle with that. It's like, look, okay, that's okay. Let them struggle. Let them struggle. Don't quarrel with them. Don't fight with them. That doesn't mean you don't say, hey, you know, God has made this clean. Let's talk about that. Doesn't mean you don't teach them, you don't exhort them. Just says don't quarrel. Don't cause unnecessary fighting. It shouldn't be a fight. We should be able to approach one another, right? With things, with scripture, with exhortation, teaching, rebuking, all things what? God's word tells us this is what scripture's for. We should be able to do this without a quarrel. Why? Just as we're in God's word, are we here as teaching? Are we convicted? Are we rejoicing? Or do we have a bad attitude? We need to ask ourselves that. I know I spent a lot of time on verses 1 and 2, but that really sets up the rest of this chapter. We need to understand these primary and secondary issues. We need to understand these things. We need to understand the context in which we are beginning to see verses 1 and 2 and then the following, especially when dealing with the Jews and the Gentiles. We see very clearly, it's like, look, one person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Like, okay, 
we begin verse 2, it's like, oh, Paul's not going to really call out the Jews. He's just going to kind of give a general principle. But then he specifically goes into, well, the weak people eat only vegetables. Gentiles like, that's not us. It's like, look, don't, don't, don't quarrel with them. Receive them. Welcome them. But it goes both ways. Let's move on to verse 3. Verse 3 is going to give us a little bit more at the end of this, and then going into verse 4. Verse 3 says, Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. So the one who eats, right? Whatever that's been made clean by God, not what? Despise the one who abstains. Right? Look down upon, ridicule, reject those who abstain from eating things that God has made clean. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. So the Jews aren't to look at the Gentiles and say, Oh, you're sinning. You're sinning. You're eating unclean things. It's like, no, I love bacon. Bacon's fine. I can eat it. Jesus are like, you can't eat bacon. It's like, you just haven't tried it. There shouldn't be quarreling over that. What I find interesting is how Paul references them, God references them as weak and strong. Weak and strong. We're going to get to more of that in just a moment. But in every, in every church, there are weak and strong believers. The strong understand spiritual truth and practice it. So the strong accept God's Word completely and live it out. Okay? But the weak have not yet grown into the level of maturity and liberty. The weak still struggle with the Scriptures. Now, I know we all struggle with the Scriptures, but there are things that we see, in particular these that, uh, all these different principles that Paul's going to be pointing out, right? A lot of us don't struggle with, but we struggle in different areas. It's like, look, these are... These are what we call the weak in faith. The weak in faith. The weak must not condemn the strong and call them unspiritual. Why? Because they're bringing in their, what? Other faith, other religions, whatever it may be, in because the Gentiles would do the same thing. Gentiles had pagan practices, rituals, and different things. And they'd come in and they're like, hey, you know, isn't your faith strong enough? You can still do these things and still be a Christian? That's not the case. The strong must not despise the weak and call them immature, for God reveal, receives both in relation to secondary issues. Okay? This is not saying that you can just say you're a Christian and live however you want, and it's like, well, I'm just a weak in faith Christian. That is not the context of the Scripture. Context of the Scripture is to help bring more unity to the body of Christ, saying, look, we are all at different levels in our spiritual walk, in our faith, 
doesn't mean one is saved and one is not. Look, we're saved and we're at different points in our spiritual walk, our spiritual journey, and our level of faith. That's okay. You need to come together. Why is that? We'll see here in a moment. The problem with judging others is that it distorts relationships and keeps us from extending and receiving ministry from one another. Oh, it keeps us from extending ministry from one another. Okay, so we should never treat each other with the contempt. Those who are still working out their salvation, who are still working, you know, sanctification, but still working that out, still going to different things at certain levels, right? Because a lot of times we have our past and our past greatly affects our present and our future. But the thing is, is as we deal with our past, it begins to no longer affect our present and therefore eliminates its embrace or not embrace its grip on our future. But we have to deal with it. This is where it comes to, down to uh, uh, when we allow this to happen, it breaks the ministry that we have for one another. I'm going to mention it more here in, in verse 4, but uh, it's for us to truly understand, like, look, we need, we need to have all of those of faith together, regardless of, you know, weak, medium, strong, whatever different levels you want to have out there of our faith, but we all have faith, and we need to come together. Why? Because those of stronger faith should be pouring into those of weaker faith. Those of weaker faith should have the desire to want to have stronger faith. Oh, that eliminates that whole understanding or philosophy of so-called Christianity to where, well, as long as I have salvation, I can live however I want. I'm just weak in faith. Isn't all that matters is that I'm saved, right? Isn't all that matters like, oh, I'm saved, oh, he's, he's good. It's interesting because I was, I was studying and studying and then I, I had did quite a bit of studying early in the week and then I'd finished up a lot of this and... Um, I had a pastor friend send me something while I was finishing up my message and, and, and tightening things up last night. And then when I was done, I looked at the message and it was a, a video. Um, and I sent it to some of you. I don't know if you've watched it or not, but I don't know. Uh, many of you know uh, Babylon B. Know who Babylon B is. They're known for their Christian satire, um, so on and so forth. But they, they, they do a lot. They, they do news stuff and different things. They do a lot of interviews. And they interviewed Alan Musk. Tesla guy, right? Richest guy in the world right now. In the world. Right around Christmas time, they interviewed him. Interviewed him for an hour and a half. And then the last like five, six minutes. They're like, well, you know, we're, we're a Christian organization. We're a Christian ministry. And so, you know, He's like, well, why are you doing this on Sunday? Why are you doing an interview on Sunday? He's like, well, yeah. He's like, you should be in church. And Elon Musk is saying this to them. And it's like three or four Babylon B guys. And, and they're like, oh, well, we need to make it church. So we're going to, you know, we need to share the gospel with you, you know? And uh, it was such 
a um, repulsive presentation of the so-called gospel that it is causing quite a firestorm right now on social media in the evangelical realms. And to where um, at one point, uh, Elon Musk, um, forgive me if I'm mispronouncing his name, he's just like, well, you know, uh, I know some of these things, and if Jesus has a lot of good teachings, and, you know, he's a good teacher, and there's a lot of good principles, and, you know, and, and, and those, that, those that are good, and what, he's like, yeah, I, you know, I believe in those teachings and those principles, and, and, uh, and the Babylon Bee guy's like, oh, we got him. He's saved. And it's like, what? They're like, oh, let's baptize him. And they pick up a bottle of water. They're like, oh. And he's like, oh, I was baptized when a kid. He's like, oh, you're already done. Like, what? And uh, You can watch the whole clip. Um, the one that I sent out was a very respectable pastor that um, I don't know personally, but I know of his work. And he did a, a response to it. Um, and it is just... As a pastor, is just very, it's beyond uh, saddening, disheartening, grieving, um, that we would neglect the gospel in such a way. But the thing is, in each and every one of our lives, we need to really check ourselves as well. How are we presenting the gospel? But not only that, how are we interacting with one another? How are we discerning? How are we understanding secondary from primary issues? Because there's a lot of things out there that people are like, well, I don't agree with this or that. And we think they're like, well, that's just a secondary issue. Or you're just weak in your faith. But honestly, if we pay attention, they're not saved at all. And they need to hear the gospel more than ever. But we need to understand on those that we accept and who's in front of us, and how we proceed, and what we agree and disagree on. Because it makes a difference on our conversations, at least it should. Show me to 1 Corinthians chapter 8. 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Now concerning, concerning food offered to idols... We know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know, he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that an idol has no real existence and that there is no God but one. Okay, pay attention very closely. I'm going to read the whole chapter, but there's going to be a transition towards the end. So, so pay attention. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many idols, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, 
through whom are all things and through whom we exist. Verse 7. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Verse 8. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. Okay? So there are those that are weak in faith that don't know. So now we're looking at the other end of the coin with the Gentiles, so to speak, and the Gentiles that come to Christianity and then they're eating everything, food sacrificed to idols, and then we're commanded not to, okay, to idols, false gods, and these uh, offerings, these burnt offerings, so to speak. And so they're doing that, right? They're not abstaining from things. They're eating things that they, probably, they, that they should not eat, right? So they're weak in their faith. But the thing is that, okay, you Gentiles or those that know better, it's like, yes, what you put in doesn't defile you, but you shouldn't do this. Why? Because they, they know it was sacrificed to idols. They shouldn't be eating it. So if you go and eat it with them or eat it in front of them, be careful you don't cause them to stumble. A lot of us take this, the last part of this uh, passage out of context, okay? Especially our uh, vegan or vegetarian friends who we're like, oh, why don't you eat meat, this and that? They're like, well, you eating meat causes me to stumble. And the Bible says you shouldn't eat it, right? It's like, well, unless it's, we're talking about idols and false gods, then, then no, right? But in a sense, there is a principle here that we can all take away from. So we don't want to be a stumbling block to the weak. Verse 10, for if anyone sees you who have knowledge, right, eating in an idol's temple, will he not be encouraged if his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols? And so, by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed the brother from whom Christ died, thus sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak. You sin against Christ, therefore if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. So the things that we need to understand of those that are stronger in faith and those that are weaker in faith we must live an upright life. Why? We must be an example to others. Why? We must live out the commands of God. Why? Because we are an example to, right? We help with the sanctification of, and ultimately we have a testimony of, right? As believers, as stronger Christians. See, the thing is, we think we might be strong in faith or we might be like, oh, I have this knowledge and I've done this and I've done this and I serve here and I serve here. And we think a little high and mighty of ourselves, but then we don't realize we're really weak in faith. The thing is, there are things that we do that cause others to stumble. And the scriptures here tell us that we're sinning. So we must be careful on how we approach this and we must understand that there's a much bigger picture. 
a much bigger picture. Yes, we must embrace those that are weaker in faith, but those that are stronger in faith, we have a responsibility. We have commands we must live out as well. Why? Because we affect those that are weaker in faith as well. They're a reason why God wants us all together. Why? Because we're to help spur one another along. Ultimately, to be united, have unity, and to be stronger in our walk, and to be more like Jesus each and every day. Let's move on to verse 4 of chapter 14. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. And now the third principle that Paul gives us is that each believer is a servant of the Lord. And we have no right to sit in judgment as if we were the master. It is before God that each one stands approved or disapproved before God. God will sustain the weak and strong in faith. The essential in all of this is faith, our salvation. But we must... We must see that this is a, this as a judgment of salvation and one's motives and heart. So we're not to reject the weak because they're weak in their faith. The weak are accepted by God. We must accept them. We must accept them. Scott has accepts them. We will all stand in judgment, and that judgment. It's a judgment seat. We understand the salvation. We understand the motives in the heart of, of one another. thing is, God does that, not us. All we can do is try to discern in and through the Scriptures and through our walk. For the truly saved will not linger in their weakness. The truly saved will not linger in their weakness. They will grow and produce fruit. That's why it's important for the stronger to accept the weak. Thing is, many times the weak are also teaching the stronger. We just have to be able to, to, to see it, to listen, to not allow our pride to get in the way. And the strong are not to be gullible. The strong are not to be deceived. They must spur on the weak to become strong. We must remember what it says here. Because if someone is truly saved, the Lord will push them through and sustain them, hold them up, lift them up, and they will grow into a stronger Christian. God does not abandon them. We are not to abandon them. God does not reject them. We are not to reject them, right? Yes, there is a judgment here that we need to not have, doesn't mean that Christians don't make judgments because we are called to judge. We are called to discern. That is for a, another message to a certain extent. But we must truly understand what Paul is teaching us here on how we are to view, discern, and accept the weaker, those that are weak in faith. 
Turn me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1. This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the ministries of God. Moreover, it is required of, it is required of stewards that they be found trustworthy. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So we will have to give an account. We will. We can come here and fool people. We can go to Bible studies and fool people. We can go and talk to whoever this and that and fool people. God ultimately sees and knows the heart. So regardless of what we think, of what we see, of what we um, identify ourselves as, whether a weak in faith or a strong in faith Christian, we have responsibility. We have these teachings, these commands, these principles given to us on how we are to treat one another. And so we see, as we begin this chapter 14, the understanding of not only the context in which this has taken place in Rome, this cosmopolitan city, but the differences that between the Jews and the Gentiles. Hey, you shouldn't eat that. That's unclean. Well, God made everything clean. Didn't you know that? Well, did God really say that? Well, let's talk about that. Hey, you can work on a Saturday. You can dig a hole. You can get your donkey out of a, out of a, a pit if he falls in there on a Saturday. We gather and worship and celebrate the resurrected Christ on Sunday. Well, are you sure? Let's talk about Jesus. Who's your Lord? Who's your master? Who's your savior? See, with the Jews, that was, that was a bigger obstacle. Things will come. Others will come. It's called sanctification. Where we start and enter into our faith, We should not be stuck there. We should not stay there. We shouldn't even linger. We should be willing to continue to move forward. And for those that move forward, we are not to look down on those who are having a hard time moving forward. If anything, they deserve our prayers 
our kindness, our love, our embrace. Why? Because we are united in Christ and in Christ alone. And I close with a a quote from St. Augustine. In essentials, unity. In the essentials, we need to be united. And if there are essentials that you're struggling with, fundamentals of the faith, foundations of the faith, ask. Get in the Word. Get in prayer. If you're not sure what they are, let's talk about it. But in essentials, we need to be united. In non-essentials, things that are secondary, things that aren't quite clear, things that the Scriptures leave a lot of mystery for. We need to have open-handed. We need to have liberty. We need to have a little more wiggle room, some freedom in there. But in all things, charity, mercy, grace, sacrificial giving, and agape love. So may we see contextually the differences between the Gentiles and the Jews that have been converted to Christianity and where they are living in the times in which they are living in and the principles that we can see Paul presenting to us and the commands by God and how they can be applied to each and every one of our lives so that we can truly be the body of Christ. Truly be with one another in love and unity. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Thank you for all that you've blessed us with. We ask that you'd continue to show us your truth, your word, and to help us discern To help us discern what is true, what is righteous, what is honorable to you. May we not bend our knee to the traditions of men. Bend our knee to the commands of you. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.